brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's a simplistic play football. Everything with an attitude. Alabama. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Don't let you ever play against them. And make his ass play. That's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. End zone. This is a mauling, folks. A mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. I. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, powered by Bama Hammer. Tom, looks like the Tide came in and did their job, 56-6 to six over Charleston Southern, huh? Yeah, man, they, they ruined our streak, man. It's, you know, it's, it was that crazy 49 to nothing score like three out of the last four years, and they had to go and screw it up and score that last touchdown. No, I am, uh, I'm very glad to see them get over 50. Uh, I know Saban was cringing um, as he had, you know, gone for it on fourth and a and a hundred, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter, not to put a field goal on the board. So I was glad to see the uh, I was glad to see the score over fifty. They collected their half a million dollar check. The least we can do is hang fifty on them. Well, you know what? I think if uh, Jabril hadn't gotten beat, uh, so they put six on the board. I think uh, you know Saban would have kept playing defense, and we would have stayed at forty nine, right? No, that's true, man. I, I we'll, we'll we'll flip the field to defense in a minute, but there's a reason the starters are who the starters are. Uh, I'll just say it that way. Yep. Well, talk to us about offense. What uh, what jumped out at you, man? The first thing jumped out at me was who is the who in the hell is number seventy eight? So I had to go back and rack my brain to uh, to see Mister Curvin there getting the start at right tackle, and. Um, you know, with all the, you know, I'm, you, you know, I'm a big fan of, of, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of, of uh, someone else playing in that position, and I was a little surprised that that Curvin got the call. Um, why, why, why do you think that happened instead of my boy Brandon Green? Yeah, I thought for sure, you know, Brandon would would get the job. You know, I definitely understand Dom not playing with his with his injury. Let's give him some rest for uh, for the next two games, but. Uh, you know, Curvin, you know, you know, the reports are is you know, he's the backup left tackle. And in fact, when the second team came in, you know, Curvin, you know, I want to play. But man, he had to play the whole day. Right. Because when we brought the, the seconds in, then he went over to left tackle. And so the report is that he truly is the backup at left tackle. And so, you know, when when you take your next best up mentality uh, and you don't want to shuffle the whole line, you know, moving Pierce backer out there and then put in a guard and you disrupt two positions, then the mindset is, you know, let's bring Curvin in. You know, I would have thought Brandon Green, but they went Curvin. I'm not mad at him. I mean, you know, he's uh, came in as a defensive lineman a couple of years ago. I think he's from Virginia. And, um, you know, he acquitted himself pretty well. We didn't run to the, to the right a whole lot, but, uh, you know, he seemed to play all right. No, I'm not mad at him, but it speaks to the lack of depth we have at the tackle position. And that's kind of why I wanted to point it out for the listeners is you've got a guy that came over in the spring from the defensive side of the ball versus Brandon Green, who's had a lot of time at, at offensive line, you know, between offensive line and tight end. But it just speaks to the lack of depth in general. Okay, because Dominic Jackson obviously was right guard last year. You move him to right tackle. And um, it shows me there's really no tackles behind your starters. Take nothing away from Corin Curvin, but with all the recruits that we've had at the offensive line, for you to have a, a backup defensive lineman who can't see the field on the defensive side of the ball as your swing tackle, it makes me nervous a little bit if we have an injury from here on out? Well, certainly you don't want an injury and you start thinking about Cam, you know, he would be a, a, a tough one to replace. And 
I don't think we would just plug and play Kervin in there. I honestly do think that that we would rotate and, you know, we would, uh, you know, put our best guys in there and Pierce Barker may move out there and we may bring in Bozeman at a guard type situation. So we would see more of that type of movement. You know, it points to, you know, Bozeman's a guy that probably could have played some, some right tackle. He's been getting more work on the interior, but he's someone that could have played probably right tackle. But it points to, you know, kind of the name that's lost in – in, in the shuffle is, uh, you know, Grant Hill and, and kind of, you know, what happened to him? And I'll be I'll bring his name up not knowing the answer to that question. But, you know, he's the guy that, uh, you know, potentially would have been the starter even ahead of Dom over the, you know, the, the last couple of years and, and certainly would have come in kind of first in off the bench in that type of situation. And so, you know, it's not as if we haven't recruited to the position. There's just circumstances that uh, that happen that sometimes kind of get in the way of um you know a normal progression of of personnel no absolutely um well another thing that caught my eye was you know we didn't see dakota ball in the game until late um i know he has not been running with the ones like he was at the beginning of the season and you and i I mean, I'm not really sure why, because you and I talked about how well he seemed to be where he was supposed to be, right, in all the different formations. Uh, talk a little bit about the freshman Hale, you know, once again getting the majority of the snaps in the first half as a true freshman, you know, giving up about 20 pounds to Dakota Ball. Um, I'm surprised they make the move of Dakota to the offensive side and then here we are, you know, he's he's behind the freshman. Yeah, you know, I think that that speaks a, a lot to Hale's progress. But, you know, I'll tell you, I was driving the Dakota ball, um, you know, bandwagon at the beginning of the year. I mean, he could have had a touchdown or two against Wisconsin the way that he was playing and and getting open and running routes and, and such. And, and, and he was uh, doing nothing. And he was doing nothing wrong is my point. Right. Yeah. He's nothing doing. He was surprising us is how well he was splitting out wide right and wide left and 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 doing what he needed to do with such limited time with the playbook. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, to to the naked eye, right? He he was doing nothing wrong and so that's that's something, you know, you wish you could be in the meeting rooms and you wish that you could, you know, be at practice and and kind of get uh, a a clearer picture on that. Uh, you know, Typhoni Smith saw some action and he hasn't played in in a number of weeks and you know, he never really has demonstrated what Dakota showed early in the season against Wisconsin. And I say all that really to kind of support, um, not to take away from anyone, but to really build up the the progress that Hale has made. And he has, he has, you know, he got his first start, physical start. You know, you're on the line of scrimmage at the first snap. Uh, but he has played under, you know, court of, sort of the 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 – the mantle of a Saban starter, which is, you know, maybe as many as 15 or 17 different players. And so he's been in that, in that group. He just got his first, you know, I'm in the first 11. And every time I see him, I, you know, this season, I think, oh, there's Brian Vogler. And of course it's not Brian Vogler because he he left, but, you know, he's got the same kind of body uh, type, you know, he's tall, he's, he's athletic, but he's got a little size to him, maybe even a little bit more size than, than uh, than Vogler had, you know, at their respective ages. But, uh, you know, he plays sound. He plays solid. He, you know, he'll hit. He'll run routes. I just think he's going to be, um, you know, these type of uh, tight ends for Saban typically, you know, come on their junior, senior year. And, and Hale has an opportunity to be one of those guys that may be, you know, a three- or four-year Again, I use the term starter loosely because I'm talking about, you know, Saban's group of ones, right? Um, you know, he may be a four- or five-year guy in that category. Well, he definitely made some good blocks. You know, I, I was kind of focusing on him and, and watching him what he was doing when he was split out wide on the on the bubble on the bubble screens to the wide receivers and stuff. And um, he seemed to play pretty well when he was in there. I just was a little bit surprised at the lack of uh, lack of Dakota ball. Um, what what else jumps out at you on the offensive side of the ball that, that caught your eye? You know, I'll tell you what caught my eye, and we, we can talk about Henry and we can talk about Damian and we can talk about Bo, but uh, sort of the in the running back uh, uh, position, the player who caught my eye 
was Xavier Marks. And it's almost as if the announcers knew that he was going to get in early because they were right on. Xavier Marks is in the game. Well, <laughs> how do they know who he is, right? And, and right. to be on the lookout. And so that must have been specifically discussed and mentioned. Uh, and that's, you know, I guess, and we've mentioned this before. There's some things you miss in the stadium that you get on TV, and there's some things you get on TV that, that you miss at the stadium. And so to hear the announcers just, oh, Xavier Marks in the game. Well, with all, due, with all due respect, who the hell is Xavier Marks that they know he's in the game? And so that just says that was discussed. That was talked about that he was going to be in the game. He's a walk-on true freshman. You know, my first thought was, you know, because he's he's so far down the roster that he's not a guy. I mean, I've seen his pictures at practice and, and you know, there was probably something I read about him in fall camp. But, you know, at this point, my my first thought went to, oh, he must be a senior walk-on that's getting into the game. And, you know, oh, he's a freshman from Texas. And so my next thought was, well, let's unpack this a little bit. Why is he getting into the game? And I started to think, well, are they putting something on film to show that, you know, Kenyon's not uh, potentially not available, but here's someone that can play a Kenyon-like role. And I thought, no, this kid is, you know, 5'9", 160. We're not – he will not play in an SEC game. And the more I started thinking about it, I thought, we're working on timing. Uh, we're taking that type of back. He's he's probably has practiced the Kenyon-Drake package, uh, so to say, and so we were working on the timing with the jet sweep and where the, the you know, Coker kind of pitches the ball into the air and Kenyon sort of runs into it. You know, we were in one of those with, with him. And so I think more than anything, we we're probably working on the timing uh, at that position. And so you bring in sort of the, your next available talent at that position. That's, that's where I've kind of landed on that. That's an interesting analogy, man. That's why that's why you listeners need to listen to this show, man. Nowhere else are you going to hear that about a walk-on at Alabama, much less who is Xavier Marks. Well, you, I was. You won't get two and a half minutes on Xavier Marks anywhere, and I'm. You know, <laughs> that is I, true. I don't mean anything negative by that. That's that's just how dorky we are about this. No, I was totally wondering, like, what in the world is he doing in the games? I think that makes a lot of sense. Because um, I was like, why is he playing at this point in the season? This makes no sense whatsoever was was my immediate reaction. Um, tell me a little bit about um, just a couple of things that jumped out at me. You know, we, we could have started with this, but I want to take a couple. Uh, I guess I can save that for my mini game ball. Let me let me go to something else real quick. Um, what did you think about the there was a couple pass interference calls that I think the 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 back judge just missed really badly. Uh, there was one on our Darius Stewart uh, where he was held with the with the back hand, uh, uh, the left hand, and the DB just put the right hand out. Uh, there was another play, I think, on Cam Sims late in the game that, that could have been uh, a touchdown. Um, what did you think of those couple calls? Did they, did they seem like they could have gone either way? They seemed like a couple of poor calls. Well, I think they probably could have been called – uh, I, I think, and, and look, I, I'll just be candid with you. I think this is a game that both teams wanted to be over as fast as they could. Uh, Charleston Southern did not even play some of their starters. They played their backup quarterback, and their starting uh, running backs only played a little bit. Uh, you know, they have no interest in playing Alabama and getting beat up as they are entering their, uh, their playoff. Uh, they have zero interest in that. And so is it a payday? Is it an opportunity to go get to do something? Yeah, but let's get in and let's get out. And, uh, and of course, we think the, we thought the same thing about that. And so I think there was sort of a wink, wink, nod, nod. Let, let the clock run. Let's get this game over with. We don't have to be legalistic on every little penalty. There was at one point where it looked like there was movement on the line, and I swear I thought they were going to let them play. And, uh, and it looked like a late whistle. And I just think I just think both coaches, both teams, both sort of programs were look, you know, no blood, no foul. Let's get this game over with. I know the announcers even talked about that as well, but man, football is football. And you know, call me a traditionalist, but you know, when the right guard and right tackle for Alabama both jump early, call the shit. And 
how how do you help the kids that when there's a penalty you should call it and when there's when you know make the right call and and these kids have to learn from this my point is is with the backups in the game they jumped a couple times or we had a couple of legal procedures to your point and they didn't call them and the announcers was like well gosh the whole right side of the line just moved and they didn't call it well how are you helping those kids Next time those kids play in a game, if they jump early and they get a flag, they're going to be like, what What do we do? So, uh, you I'm, know, I'm the traditionalist. If a DB interferes, call it. It's pass interference, plain and simple. I think if a lineman jumps, he knows that he jumped and he knows that he shouldn't have, and he knows that he got away with one. And that's something they could look at in film and they can say that right there, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that again uh, because we'll, we could, you know, you know, there's a stadium and there's plenty of bleachers that we can run. But in this game, we're just trying to get out of it. That's a play that we don't have to rerun and re-risk an injury. And had it been a scoring play, then, you know, as the running back is crossing the goal line, they probably would have tossed a flag. But uh, if that's going to be a three-yard gain or an eight-yard gain, then you know what? That's just the cost of doing business in a game like this. Like I said, both teams want it to be over. Um, you know, both teams wanted it to be over. And I'm talking about the programs. The kids want to play. I understand that. But from a program perspective, taking one big step backwards, you know what? I can teach you not to not to jump at a different time. This is a game I just want to get over with. I'm with you. I just uh, I just I, I want the calls to be made when they occur. Um, there was something else that jumped out at me very quickly. Uh, Jake Coker early in the game, they they went for it fourth down and, and got the first down, but you know. His timing is still off. He threw the ball late to Ardarius Stewart in the flats. Ardarius had run past the marker. He has to come back for the ball. The ball's late. The ball's thrown behind him. He doesn't get the first down. Ends up being a fourth and one play. And, yep. you know, we, ha we have to go for it early in the game. Yes, it was Charleston Southern. And, yes, most people won't remember that play. But that kind of crap can't happen against Auburn because you're not going to go for it on fourth and one three minutes into the game against Auburn. And so, yes, he was 11 of 13, but Jake Coker still does not look sharp for me throwing the football. Yes, he completed 11 passes, but he 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 didn't hit them. You know, he didn't throw the passes where the ball needed to be placed so the players could do yards after the catch and all. He's I guess what I should say is, is his placement of his passes still does not make me comfortable. Yeah, he was a sloppy 11 of 13, right? I mean, 11 of 13 is is very good. That's that's uh that's a high obviously percent. That's a high caliber uh performance, but you know, he put everything in the catch windows. He just could have narrowed that. And that's where, you know, and we talked about it last week and we've kind of talked about it, you know, in different ways throughout the season. This is what you get with Jake Coker. And that's not a knock because I think it's enough for us to win. But your point there is good, right? You know, we're going to go for fourth and one against Charleston Southern on our, on our first drive of the game because guess what? We outweigh, you know, our offensive line outweighs their defensive front by 60 pounds. If we wanted to just line up and run the ball every play of the game, we could have beat them into a pulp. We wouldn't have improved or we wouldn't have really proven anything or accomplished anything. But we could have done that. And so we said, look, we're going to work on our timing. Uh, we're going to do some situational play calling, which I thought was was good. And there's a couple instances of that. We're going to work on our timing with Cam Sims. And all of that we needed. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to 100 percent agree with what you said. He can improve his accuracy. But right now, I think we have what we have. And the fact that he went 11 of 13 is going to be enough for me to be okay. Now, that's true. I will say on the touchdown pass to Calvin Ridley, you know how we've talked about him not seeing things in the pocket? Yep. Maybe this is a young quarterback thing. On that play, he rolled out to the right. I think they should get him on the move more because I think he can see downfield better when he's out of the pocket. You know, that reminds me a little bit of what we talked about last year with Blake Sims. And I can't remember the exact point that we were making, but it was it was basically rolling out 
it gives you a different vantage and perspective of the field and it gets you out of the pocket. It also gives you something to do, especially if you're thinking of throwing down the field. If you're going to step back and sit in the pocket and wait and wait 1,000 through, now you're going to throw the ball. If you roll out, it gives you something to do, uh, you know, to sort of consume those two and a half seconds. So you're not sort of nervous twitching for those two and a half seconds. And, you know, when you're in the pocket and the rush is coming at you, two and a half seconds feels like a lot longer than than what it really is. And so rolling out gives you something to do. And then you roll out. I'm going to roll out to this point, set my feet, throw. That's all I have to think about. I don't have to think about anything else. Pressure, stress, is someone blocking? I'm going to roll out and throw as opposed to I've got to stand there and think about things and then throw. No, absolutely. And and I think on that play, Calvin was his second or third read. And so I, I just think we should incorporate a little bit more of that because he does have some good feet. It would get him out of the pocket. It would give the defensive uh, front for the other team a different look. And um, maybe he could find O.J. Howard some. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Yeah, and he's not a running quarterback per se, but he has run with some effect. And, I, you know, if he if he rolls out, I don't want to say necessarily that that's going to bring up, that that's going to suck up all the defenders because, you know, he's not that type of runner. But it, it may give it, – it may create that heartbeat of a, of a separation, which, you know – you know some of these receivers making moves and Ridley making a little juke, and if and if the the defender sort of just has half a heartbeat of of, of hesitation, that's all someone like Ridley needs. Uh, you know, I thought I thought on the pass to uh, to Richard Mullaney, I thought that uh, that he was that he did a good job of sort of looking at multiple receivers, and it looked like he looked to Richard. Uh, looked like he was covered, looked somewhere else and looked back up. And it's almost looked like he said, well, hell, I'm just going to put it up then. And, uh, in, and he put it up in a way that either it's out of the end zone and nobody catches it or, you know, Richard's going to catch it. And he made a very uh, – I thought he made a very athletic catch and they went back and reviewed it and he did, did get his foot down. And, and uh, that, was, that was a big catch for Mulaney. I was, I was happy to see that. No, absolutely. Well, that, that was a hell of a catch. Well, tell me, tell me what else jumped out at you. I, we, we talked last week on the podcast. I mean, I, let me go back to that real quick. That was a hell of a catch on his part, and it was good to see him make that play. Uh, I think that hope, hope that helps him uh, going forward here, making a couple big catches in, in the next three games that they have, hopefully. Um, tell, me, tell me what else jumps out at you. I didn't want to see the first string offense, as I told you. Uh, I wanted to start with the second stringers. We obviously didn't do that. Um, well, we weren't. Th- you knew that, right? I understand. The first string stayed out longer than I thought, though. Yeah. And, um, you know, Derek Henry, uh, I had said last week, I hope Damian Harris and Bo Scarborough got 30 carries between them, and so I was off a little bit. They got 20. But were you surprised they, they got as many carries as they did? No, I wasn't, and I thought it was interesting. By the way, we want four games. I'm going to keep – you know, there's a little countdown here. We want all four of them, but uh, but I'm with you. You know, I thought it was interesting. And God, how far back does this go, right? This was early, early AJ days when we were talking about. You know, are we sort of releasing stats, and are we are we sort of kind of cooking the books uh, with with the play calling? And I, so I thought it was interesting that they both got exactly ten carries. Uh, and I also kind of like the situationalness of the uh, the play calling. I liked where, you know, Damien ran it all the way down to the goal line, couldn't get it in, and, you know, you could see him just stretching like, I've got to get this touchdown, and he put the ball, you know, his knee was down, his body was down, so it wasn't a fumble, but, you know, that's not something he should do, and I'm sure the coaches kind of talked to him about that, but he so wanted the touchdown because it's like he knew if I go down at the one, then I know what the situation is. The situation is, you know, down in distance at, at the one, I'm not going to get this carry. It's like he knew that. And so I thought it was interesting, you know, Damien had been in the game and then we bring in Bo at the, at the goal line. And I thought, well, you can look at that and say, oh, that's not fair to Damien because he got it all the way down there. And that would be, that would be, you know, a true statement, but there's also, you know, practice, right? You think about a football practice, you practice situations. All right, guys, now we're going to practice goal line running. Let's bring in our goal, in, goal line package. 
well, Bo Scarborough is going to be our goal line sort of running back if, you know, if it's not Henry, right? And so, Damian, good job getting it down here because that is your situation. And first time we get, you know, ball on on the goal, you know, down in distance on the goal line, uh, Bo Scarborough is going to come in and get his touchdown. And I, I was happy to see Damian get his later. You know, ironically, it was eight yards out, right, because that's kind of going to be his down and distance type of territory. So although that was funny, I kind of like the, uh, the situationalness of that play calling. No, absolutely. Um, I, I will just say that, you know, Bo looks like a small Derrick Henry to me. He does. And, um, and not that much smaller, by the way. Um, you know, he, he already looks like a beast as a freshman. And so uh, I, I think Ronnie Clark might be uh, switching back to his, his former position before too long. Um, but I was definitely glad to see Derrick Henry wasn't in the game very long. Um, anything else on offense before you give me your mini game ball? No, no, give it to me. All right. Well, I want you to go first because I know you're not going to take mine. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go Corn Curvin. Just uh, hats off to uh, to the big guy, and we talked about him a little bit earlier. The fact that that he got in there and got got some start uh, and got some run in the game. Uh, hats, hats off to him. He's been a depth player, and so this is the year that he's kind of crept up into maybe the two deep. Hasn't played a whole lot. Uh, you know, when we've gone to kind of backups, he's seen a little bit of run. But, uh, you know, kind of to get a start, uh, that's exciting. So I'm glad he got an opportunity to do that. I'm going Corn Curvin. All right. That's a nice feel-good story. Congratulations, Corn Curvin. Um, for those listeners who are longtime listeners, uh, you picked a good night to listen. You are going to listen now to the most valuable mini game ball award on the offensive side of the ball since we started this podcast <laughs> and my boy and my, and my, and my, and my, and my cohort here did not even catch it. So I know I'm going to get him as well. So drum roll, please. The most valuable player, mini game ball offensive trophy this week goes to a defensive player. Any Give idea what I'm about to say? Give it to me. Ashawn Robinson, you are my mini game ball on the offensive side of the ball. And the reason why is because after Richard Mullaney scored his touchdown and Lane Kiffin was congratulating him, our Darius Stewart came by, excuse me, Ashawn Robinson came up and just laid one on the back of Lane Kiffin's ass and caught him totally off guard. He turned around and gave a look like, who in the hell is doing this to me? And when he saw it was Sean Robinson, he couldn't say anything. <laughs> so everybody's got to go back, rewind their DVR. It will be very quick. It'll be about five seconds. You will see 86 flash in to go in for the extra point with his helmet on, and then you will see Lee Kiffin's reaction, and it is priceless. Well, in the history of Tommy breaking the award, I uh, will say this is the winner. It was awesome. The best mini game ball in offense in the in the six years we've been doing this. And so there's a lot wrapped up in there because you have you have a history of sort of breaking the mini game ball, and it's pretty clear you don't like Lane Kiffin, and so you get to do it all sort of in one motion there. So that's awesome. It was hilarious. All right, All right. Flip the, flip, yeah, you go on defense, man. We we don't really need to say much. This can be a short show on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Cyrus Jones, congratulations! Um, you um, you played uh, an extremely good game uh, in your last time at Bryant Denny, and um, you know just just really showed your speed, really showed your maturity. Uh, my favorite play was was on the the play where you anticipated the the pitch to the running back. You know, I went back and watched that four or five times. You were obviously being blocked by a smaller guy for Charleston Southern, but you got your eye in the backfield. You're looking at the quarterback. Quarterback's about to pitch it. You see, you anticipate, you jump the ball, get your hands up, make a great play, one of the best plays of the defense this year. Um, I just think Cyrus Jones had a hell of a game. He did, absolutely. And in his post-game interview, you know, he said that uh, – he said obviously he was playing the pitch man. He knew that the quarterback was going to pitch it because he had been pitching it all day long, so he knew the ball was coming. And so, you know, to your point, anticipation, 
you know, he knew that he needed to get in position to, to make a play. And, uh, and he did. And if he had caught it cleanly, he just sort of strolled right into the end zone. It's a little bit of a bobble, but, uh, you know, the former wide receiver got his hands on it. The quarterback actually brought him down. But that was a heck of a play. You know, he laid uh, a couple of big licks uh, in the game as well. There was one where he could have wrapped up. and uh, Has really, to wrap up. Has really, to wrap up. Yeah, he could have driven the guy into the pavement. But, uh, uh, but you know, again, it was an anticipation play that he made. And so, you know, you get a little bit of points for that. And and there was another big tackle that he made, you know, where he did kind of bring his arms around and, and hit somebody. But, uh, yeah, and then we can talk about him in special teams. I mean, he had his absolute best – you know, best uh, sort of career day. And so that was exciting. You know, I thought Tony Brown played well <clears throat> in the Minka Fitzpatrick role. And I think it's important that, uh, you know, and so kind of, you know, put this in your hat and think about it. But uh, I think it's important that Tony got these reps and, and, and has been given this opportunity because next year, and we just talked about Cyrus, Cyrus is graduating. He's going to be gone. He's going to be, you know, playing on Sundays. And so there's going to be a corner spot open. And so does Tony getting back on the field, kind of getting some some reps, does that sort of inspire him to, to compete for that corner spot? Does Minka get the corner spot, leaving open, you know, sort of that hybrid sort of safety uh, uh, position? Um, you know, I don't know. But uh, I, I just think there's going to be – there's going to be some playing opportunity and uh, Tony getting on the field – and taking every advantage of that this year uh, bodes well, not only for this season, but but for next as well. Now, I'm with you. I, I will point out his over-aggressive uh, personal foul that should have been called uh, on the drive before in the third quarter. when um, Out of bounds? You know, the, yeah, the out of bounds play. Yeah, that, was, that, was, that was a malarkey call. They were falling down. Even as they were going out of bounds, that should yeah. Be. But no, no. If you go back, if you go back and watch it, there were three guys for Alabama on the play, and that's a lack of maturity thing on his part because the other two Bama players pull off completely. Um, one that I noticed was Dylan Lee. Dylan Lee pulls back. He stops. He knows to stop. And Tony Brown goes two or three steps after Dylan Lee and the other Bama player have pulled completely off. And um, he's got to know where he is on the sideline. He's got to know he's completely off the sideline. And so when one Bama player is driving the guy to the ground and the other two have pulled off, you're going to get a call every time. And um, I'm sure something was said in the film room about that. Yeah, I, I just think the uh, the guy was stumbling, though. You know, the guy was already stumbling. And so Tony probably could have stopped. A, a little bit earlier, but he was running full speed, and the other guy was already tumbling. It looked a whole lot worse than what it really was, but that's, you know. But on the whole, though, I, I was pleased with Tony's performance. Oh, sure. Um, let me quickly mention uh, Tim Williams. Uh, you know that um, you and I disagreed earlier in the season on a targeting call because uh, I, 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 think, I think many times uh, it is, you know, they're just overdoing it. It's freaking football. Um, I'm glad to see they got that right. Sure. Uh, because on the field, they got it completely wrong. Uh, it makes you wonder what, they, what they're looking at sometimes. Um, it was clear that there was no intent to harm. It was clear that he got into his shoulder pads first. And um, I'm glad he didn't lose the first half of a critical Auburn game because of a, uh, because of a poor call. Yeah, it's – I don't mind them at the at the speed at the pace of of the play. I don't necessarily mind the call if they're going to review it and get it right. And I thought when they reviewed it that it was pretty clear that he led with the, his shoulder. And I don't even think he made helmet to helmet contact. There are other times where uh, in the Auburn game there was a player that that uh, uh, that was ejected, and he clearly you could see was leading with his head and the whole trajectory of his body adjusted so that he could lead with his head and continue to lead with his head, even as the defender was, was, or the offensive player was going down. And, and that's, that should not be allowed. You should not, you know, you should see what you tackle and you should, you know, not tackle someone when they're already down spearing, kind of leading with the helmet. That's some of this stuff has been against the rules for, you know, as long as there's been rules, there's just a, there's just an emphasis uh, on some of it more recently, but 
yeah, but the but the call on uh, uh, on Tim, I'm, I'm just glad they reversed it because that was the right thing to do. And if it takes looking at it to get it right, I'm not categorically against that as long as you get it right. No, no, I, I'm with you there. Um, I'm just glad that I. My point is they shouldn't they shouldn't have called it to start with. It was it was obvious at that point. It was obvious on the play when it when they ran it through the first time and I watched it through the first time that it shouldn't have been a call. But um, you know that you know as we said earlier they they missed some other calls in in the game. Sure, sure. Um, you know, um, glad Minka didn't have to play. But as I said at the beginning of the show. Uh, there's a reason your starters are your starters and your backups are your backups. And while we can run 12-plus guys in the front seven and not skip a beat, we can clearly not do that in the back uh, in the back of the defense. No, we can't. And we've got some guys that we're, uh, you know, trying to redshirt at, at the position. And, you know, that kind of is what it is. And, and we'll play, you know, five – you know, four and five and, and sometimes six DBs. And, and um, you know, when you get to that next one, it, it can become, you know, a little bit of a challenge. And we're already doing that a little bit with, with Tony Brown being in, right? And so when you think of going, you know, a dime package, we're already, you know, seven deep if you count Tony Brown. And so that's a big number. I'm but just – I'm just There's a drop-off when you get to yeah. that – yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking of there are people who have some seniority in the program that are just not at the same level sure. as some of these five stars, right? Let's yeah. face it. Some of these guys are tops in their class at their position for a reason. And um, you know, I, I, I thought on the deep um I, I thought I thought when they got into a position to score that touchdown, it should have never happened. Yeah, I'll just say it that way. No, I think and, you are. Uh, and um, I will say also uh, on the play where they did score the touchdown, uh, just to speak to that for a quick second. In that example, you know, you had a third, you, you had, you had a, uh, you had a third string linebacker in. Uh, excuse me, two third string linebackers in, um, and a second string linebacker in. And the second string linebacker was trying to compensate for the first for the third string linebacker uh, who had just fallen down on the play. And so while I really appreciate them getting work, um, I'm sorry, man. I, I I love me some shutouts. I, I just wish um I know it can't be done because of political correctness and all that garbage. Um, but I really wish that uh we could have brought some of the some of the starters back in and, and kept that shutout in place. I hated to see the shutout go. I'll say it that way. No, I, I mean, I would have liked the shutout too, but I, you know, I like the opportunity for the youngsters to get some play and, you know, that's going to help develop the roster in, in kind of a go forward position. And so, you know, I, you know, you kind of wish that if someone were going to get burned in, in a play like that, it wouldn't be two reserve upperclassmen, that it would be a redshirt freshman, you know, kind of getting some of his first play so that, you know, he could learn from that uh, and not make that mistake again. And I'm even thinking of like a D Milner as a true freshman who got just, you know, toasted, you know, for, you know, a 70 yard touchdown against, you know, Arkansas, and then went on to become an all America uh, player. You wish it could be that type of youngster as opposed to, you know, a fourth and fifth year guy. No, absolutely. Um, I guess the only other thing that jumped out at me on the defensive side of the ball is there was an opportunity for Reuben Foster to to make a big stop uh, on the quarterback, and he wasn't able to wrap up because of that injured hand. Are you surprised for all the reasons that we talked about earlier? Um, why does he not sit this game out just because? You know, why, why not just have Dylan Lee – Dylan Lee and Sean Hamilton ended up playing a lot, but why not just sit Reggie Raglan out of this game and just have more Dylan Lee and Sean to go with Reggie? Why, why do you think Ruben, after just injuring that hand, why do you think he was in the game at all? Yeah, I think because he was good to go. 
you know, Saban's not one necessarily to rest able bodies. Uh, if, if there is, you know, a ding that impacts their, their ability to play, uh, it could also be the type, the nature of the injury that he has is one that he's going to have to play with. And so holding him out does not necessarily help him get better. Uh, and so what can help him get better is some experience playing with his hand bandaged that way. And I don't know that to be true. I'm just kind of throwing ideas on the table. I'll say this, though, and I do recall that play. And, I, you know, the announcer's kind of making the statement that, that uh, you know, we're not, were it not for his hand, he might have made that tackle. And, and maybe, maybe that's true uh, without, uh, you know, he maybe could have grabbed some jersey or something. But, you know, he was playing contain on the end. And his his job was to not let the quarterback outflank him. And so he, you know, he had to shade to the outside. And so when the quarterback planted his foot and cut inside, then he's almost kind of by definition already a little bit out of position because he's shading to the outside. And, you know, you shade to the outside to force him inside because that's where you have help. And, and, and he did have help there. It just happened that right there at the, it was, you know, what a third and one or something. And so right there where he just couldn't get, a full grasp on him because he was shading the outside uh, and, and the, and, and the next linebacker or the help coming from, from the inside uh, you know, the quarterback was able to gain that yard. And so, you know, it would have been beautiful to see, you know, him make that tackle and that would have been very nice. I don't know how much of it was the arm or how much of it was he protecting the outside and to, to force him back in. And then when he forced him back in, there was just, just a sliver for him to make the make the play. I I might lean a little more that way. I don't know. I might be being a little more forgiving than you are. All right. Well, um, anything else on defense before we do uh, mini game balls? You know, I I could go mini game balls and and I could do a Tommy esque version of the mini game ball, and I could say that uh, the most valuable player on the Alabama defense, uh, um, you know, was Coach Saban because he held Alabama to six points in the second half or seven points in the second half. Yeah, man, that garbage where, you know, fourth and five or fourth and ten, and you're in obvious field goal range, you know, obviously have a lot of respect for Coach Saban, and he doesn't even know my name, but that's just not football. I just – I don't understand that. You can still win with class, um, but you don't – to me, it's almost an embarrass. It's almost embarrassing a team, and I know you're probably going to be on the other side of the fence on this one. But you know, there's a reason that we got into field goal range, and so you know, the first time you know, we'll get to special teams in a minute. I'll just I'll hold it for now. But I, I just I just feel like there were opportunities to put points on the board. Uh, to your mini game ball analogy, um, that I just didn't like how that was done. No, we'll put a pin in that until we get to uh, special teams because I think there's a couple of points there. You know, in in, in seriousness, I'll give my mini game ball to, to Sean Dion Hamilton. Uh, I think he he looked good uh, in his play. You know, he's played you know kind of with the starters in the rotation. He got some extended play against Saturday, uh, and uh, he looks like a guy who's going to be a contributor. Um, you know, as we go on, you know, next year we're going to lose at least well, you know at least two linebackers, I guess. And um, I think I think Deion Hamilton's going to get a lot more run next year. And and he looks as if he's rounding in the form to be ready for that. Well, I think he looks like he's playing a little faster. Um, he anticipated a couple of those reads in the backfield when he made a couple tackles for loss. And so I do think that he he seemed more comfortable in this game um, than he has been so far. Um, for sure. Um, well, as far as mini game ball, um, it's really kind of hard on off on defense just because of, of how many guys got to play. Um, and so there was really nothing that really, that was really nothing that really jumped out at me on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and so I'm just going to defer to yours. I, I I'm going to abstain from a mini game ball. 
you never never cease me never cease to amaze me in the ways that you screw up that portion of the program sorry um special teams man so i'm i'm seeing here that uh, i'm seeing here that that adam griffith because of all the touchdowns and the kickoffs he had 14 opportunities to exercise in the first half to jk scott's zero yep is that why jk scott kicked the field goal in the third quarter or was saban already putting on his uh uh, shut out of us scoring uh, by playing J.K. JK Scott. What's your What's your theory there on the on the uh, on the kickoff on the field goal attempt that J.K. Scott should not have been kicking in the third quarter? You know, I laughed at. Um, he's just so damn long. He's so tall. And he looks so awkward, like, yeah. and he's tall for a punter. But there's a certain amount of. You know, a punter is going to take his steps and then kick. And it, whereas lining up to kick with with the holder and all that, just the disproportionate of the size and his long sort of leg swing and sort of the, you know, you know the 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 rush is coming for a for a uh, a field goal um, or PAT different than it is for for a punt. Sometimes there's not even a rush on a punt. That the long windup isn't really tuned for. Field goal, uh, I, you know that 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 type of kicking, and so he just looked. It looked so odd, and then, you know, you know, I was watching it with my wife, and she said, "What in the world was that?" And I said, "Well, he kicked the hell out of it. He just kicked it the wrong way." Um, and so it kind of had a wild thing element to it, you know, uh, thinking back a, a a number of years, and and it was not dissimilar when he kicked off you know that he's got he's got the leg he can kick the hell out of it you just don't know where it's going to go and and uh and so i thought that was interesting i don't think it was so much saban trying here's what i think it is if you you know if you want to kind of get brass tacks on this i don't think it was saban trying to keep us off the the scoreboard i think it was i think it was saban sending a message to gunner rayborn to say this would have been your kick and you violated team rules, so you're not getting to play in a game that you otherwise probably would have gotten more than just this one opportunity. And so did we go for it on fourth down because we were going to go for it on fourth down or because we were making a point about performance off the field? Yeah, that's out there, man. I don't I don't know. I mean – that would make me feel better than than what we did um because on fourth and five to you know if i if i go back and find this play very quickly after jk scott had that miserable looking field goal attempt uh in the third quarter the very next time uh we come in we've driven the ball down the field we have fourth and five at the 27 and we throw a screen pass in the in the in the flats to Dalen Charlotte, and um, there was no chance he was going to get a first down, and um, didn't understand the play call, uh, didn't understand why we even ran it on fourth and five, and um, so that 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 definitely surprised me. But you know, J.K. Scott, from what the announcers you know said, he was a pretty good kicker in high school, and. You know, I need to go back and check that out because um, obviously he wasn't just a punter in high school. And so um, I was hoping the angle was, you know, just to have next man up mentality that can kick if something was to happen to Adam. And so why not have J.K. Scott, you know, attempt a field goal in a game when you're up 49 to nothing and just see what he does. That's what I'm hoping it was. Yeah, and it could have been that. I do think there is something to, to, you know – the players get in trouble sometimes and we don't even know about it, right? But you know, when when it's sort of legal and and it's it's hard, you know, it's almost impossible to kind of it not be known. And so we saw what Saban did with Geno Smith a couple of years ago when he got a DUI. Uh, you know, he kind of lost his his starting job for the year. And I know Jarek Williams was coming back, and you could argue that, you know, Jarek would have gotten it anyways. I don't know the way that Geno played, I don't know that that's true. And so you think, well, how much more would he, you know, a backup kicker say, I'm not letting you get a garbage time kick 
if that's how you're going to behave yourself. Um, so I, you know, is that why we went ran the ball every time on fourth down? I, you know, okay, that might be a little bit out there, but that kick where clearly we were having someone else come in, and who's that someone else? It's not going to be the guy who got the DUI. That's what I think. No, I'm with you. Well, tell me, um, tell me, is anything else on special teams? I've got one more thing, but anything else you got on special teams? No punts. You know, obviously, like you said, uh, Cyrus. I mean, what do you want to say on on the two kickoffs returns? That was that was phenomenal. Uh, I really liked. Uh, I I guess it was the first one when he kind of scooped it, and um, I really liked the play by Richard Mullaney on that. I think Richard Mullaney was the was the uh, it you know for for a moment there. Mullaney was the only player on the field not named Cyrus Jones that knew that the ball was about to be picked up and a return effort made because uh, he starts sprinting across uh, to and, – and he really, at the end of the day, just kind of runs escort and runs interference for Cyrus. He doesn't, like, literally hands-on block someone, uh, but but he's he's running enough interference that, that he could have peeled off in any of the potential – uh, tacklers, and there were two or three that he looked like he was about to maybe try to square up on, and then just you know they were able to get around, or the guy sort of reacted uh, to to Mulaney, and that was enough, or you know whatever it was. But uh, hats off to him on that play because he was he was as heads up, and maybe even more so, right? Because you know Cyrus has one job, and Mulaney probably has a couple, um, and he was as heads up as anyone on the field that he saw what was about to happen and positioned himself in such a way. And I take nothing away from Cyrus, but I don't think if Mullaney had uh, had positioned himself in such a way, I don't know that it goes all the way back for a touchdown. And so I think that's a tip of the cap to Mullaney there. No, absolutely. I agree with that. That was a very, uh, very good heads up play on his part. A um, couple of different special teams uh, things that, that I wanted to mention. Um, first of all, on his second punt return um, for a touchdown, uh, I think they could have called Maurice Smith uh, for a block in the back. Um, he didn't extend his hands to shove the guy, but he puts his hands on the back of his shoulder pads, and oopsie, next thing you know, the guy falls on the ground. Yep. So uh, I, I think they missed one. Um, that's the second time in a couple of weeks he's had that on special teams. So I just point that out because – once again, if that's a punt return against Auburn and it gets called back, that's huge. If it gets called back against Colorado, uh, Charleston Southern, okay, we just got to, you know, yep. we, get, we get to work on some more plays. Yep. So I, I, I didn't like that. Um, you know, you got to get your head in front of them or leave them alone. And then um, the, the other thing I want to point out to you and, and kind of get your take on this is what did you think of the uh, taunting call um, that was that was called um, that was called on Harrison? I, I thought it was I thought it was the right call, and um, I'm surprised he came back on the field after that. Yeah, that was a frustrating um, you know that was a frustrating move, and you think uh, true freshman is is kind of what you chalk it up to. Um, you know, I'm sure that I'm I'm sure that there was a higher value in him getting reps than there was reprimanding him for that, you know, kind of in that moment. But I, I, I'm sure that he'll get, I'm sure he'll get an opportunity to pay penance on that. Well, I hope he does. Cause I think it will help his uh, development going forward. Um, but I will say, you know, on that play, he made a great effort play. Okay. You, you put a block on the backup linebacker. Good job but you don't stand over him and taunt him after the fact. And when the kid gets up after being shaken up on the play, um, I don't know if you saw this, but Reggie Ragland walks all the way over to the sideline to shake his hand and show class. Yep. And then Denzel Duvall and Ashawn Robinson also come over to shake his hand as he's leaving the field to show class. Yep. So I just thought that was very interesting how those three players handled that event versus how Harrison handled it. Yeah, and that's a good learning opportunity for him too, right? It's one thing to get barked at in in a um, 
you know, in a film breakdown, but to actually see that, um, you know, those are leaders of the team and those are upperclassmen, right? Uh, to see them do that right after you did what you did is, is really a stark example of, I want to be that. I don't want to be this. So just just wanted to point it out for people that might have not missed it and might have missed it because I thought that was I, th- I thought that was a great sign to see those three upperclassmen do that. Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. That was a good call out. So you know, I guess there's another game this Saturday. Uh, we play a little team from West Georgia. What you think about it, man? You know, the last time we went to their house, um, you know, we we know what happened uh, with that uh, with that crap. And um, that should have never happened. Um, this one's not going to be this close. Um, you know, in that game two years ago, they they were in a situation where they were able to extend the secondary. They had speed at wide receiver that could get behind our secondary. We weren't playing with six safeties or six cornerbacks on the field like we do now. Um, and, you know, Sorry, Auburn fans, you do not have a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback, um, as we heard in the hotel room in Dallas uh, when you should have lost to Louisville. Um, I don't think this one's going to be close, man. Um, I I think, you know, they obviously have home field advantage. They're obviously going to be fired off, uh, fired up to be the spoiler. Um, But I think this is going to be your 31 to 10 variety. You know, I, I think we win by three touchdowns. Okay. I, you know, I agree. I think they're going to come out uh, with some spark. They're going to come out with uh, some emotion. Uh, Auburn is. And uh, you know, the first quarter, uh, Ooh, we've got a game is what the announcers will say. And uh, by halftime, that game will be over. And uh, I I'm predicting a uh, 42 to 14 type ball game. This is an Alabama team that is that you know, on a mission just sounds so cliche that I stopped myself from saying it. But this team has a resolve about about it. And this team, you know, I think I think how we played against Charleston Southern, you know, demonstrates that. Saban has mentioned it. You and I have mentioned it. We've seen games where, you know, the Alabama team can come out with a lack of energy, a lack of emotion in, you know, one of these kinds of games. And we've seen, you know, South Carolina lost and and uh, Georgia almost lost, probably should have lost. Uh, Florida almost lost, probably should have lost. And, you know, all against, you know, much lesser opponents. You know, the Alabama team, okay, it's still Charleston Southern, but they maintained their focus. They went out and did what you would expect them to do against this kind of team. Uh, the game was over before it started, you know, 49 to nothing to halftime. You know, at that point, you could write your own score. And, uh, you know, we just decided not to write a big number next to 49, and that's fine. But they did it. They still did it. And I think this team has that, that level of resolve. I think this team has that level of frustration that uh, even though they won the game last year, they know how many points they gave up. And, uh, and in this kick six crap, uh, it, you know, man, if, 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 if we're tired of hearing about it, how much do you think they're tired of hearing about it? And uh, I think they go and lay wood to this Auburn team, and uh, and that's just it. Well, I think that, you know, uh, I agree with what you said about this team. Um, <laughs> being up 49 to nothing when that had been the final margin of victory for five of the last six years is very telling. It's very telling that, you know, he talks about don't look at the scoreboard, right? Well, of all, of, of all the time we've been doing this, um, that performance was probably the best example of not looking at the scoreboard in as long as Saban's been here against yep. an opponent like that. And yep. we probably should have said that at the beginning of the podcast because that is probably the best example that they've had of that. But I think this Alabama team um, has been evolving to a team that is going to counteract the the – Hurry up offense, thanks to Auburn and thanks to Gus Malzahn. And they've been working on it since they shouldn't have lost the game in 2010 when they were up 24 to nothing. And then this kick six garbage, you know, we've talked about it all season. You saw a team, you saw a team on Saturday that 
you know, was nine and one, who's got some players who runs a great offensive scheme who couldn't even get positive yards on their go-to plays because of the speed and athleticism of this team. And so this team is now set up to stop teams like Auburn. They are set up to not let you get over the top, and they are set up to keep that quarterback in the pocket. And uh, Jeremy Johnson better get ready because his uniform is going to get dirty. I think you're spot on. And I think that, I mean, I don't know. I I feel like maybe I, I want to write an article or something about this schedule. And, you know, and everyone is, you know, at the beginning of the season, it's the toughest schedule in, in the country or one of the top toughest schedules in the country. And, uh, you know, based on, you know, preseason and, and I don't know necessarily where it would rank out now and, you know, whatever. But what it ha- what the schedule has been is has been, you know, and we've talked about it at various times. You know, we opened the season against a highly ranked, a highly respected name brand Wisconsin team who plays a brand of ball that, you know, is is, you know, baits our mousetrap, right? You know, uh and and then we go home and we play uh a MTSU team that clearly we're gonna outclass them, but they're gonna play a style that we need to see you know, run and, and, and practice against. And we've done, we've done that kind of thing to the fullest extent that we can all year, all year long. Right. And there's the SEC, SEC schedule. And it is what it is, but what do we do with this game? Right. Okay. So we grab, you know, uh, this type of team before Auburn. And so it's a rest kind of between, you know, LSU and Mississippi state, get a rest before you play Auburn, because, you know, you don't know that Auburn's going to necessarily not be this good, but there's also, it could be any, lower tier, lower brand team, but let's play one that runs an option. So we have to practice against the option. And so when we get to Auburn, who does, you know, some chinky kind of things on offense and we get to, we don't know who we're going to play in the postseason. We can say, let's reference back to when we practice against the option team, because we may need to pull out some of those skills against a, a different team. I just think that's, I just think there's a certain cleverness to that. There's a certain genius to that, and I'm not going to say that Auburn is a option team, but they do enough sort of, you know, hide the ball kind of kind of play that it's a good practice to practice this level of discipline, this um, you know assignment defense uh, is a good matchup right before we play Auburn, and and you think well, you know, when we've been tasked with removing one thing from the game. You know, look at Georgia, look at LSU. We've done very well. Apparently, you know, against Charles and Southern, again, I get the opponent, but when tasked with uh, fending off reach blocks and fending off uh, that type of blocking approach and maintaining assignment to make the tackles, clearly clearly, we did pretty well against that as well. Um, and so, you know, those are the types of offenses you can't practice against or you can't scout very well. And so, so let's just go play a lesser talented team, but a well-versed team in that type of, that type of play. That'll be the best practice we can get. No, absolutely. This, this game is going to remind the listeners of 2011 after we had lost to Cam when we were up 24 nothing, We came back at their house and, and whooped them 42-14. to 14. Uh, this is going to be a backyard whooping. And um, I, I just wish I could be there in person to witness it. Um, but uh, I think we're going to go ahead and punch our ticket to Atlanta. Absolutely. Anything else you want to cover? No, man, I think I'm good, man. I'm just ready to uh, I'm ready to break down some Florida Gators and uh, after we get done with this one and uh, keep rolling along here. Absolutely. Well, hey, I want to hit a couple uh, housekeeping things. You know, we got uh, after the Mississippi State show, we, uh, uh, you know, we got one of our longtime listeners, uh, frequent commenter on Facebook, dropped us a note. Uh, Simon, and Simon, I hope I pronounce this right, uh, uh, Leibovic, uh, you know, just commented that he really enjoyed the Mississippi State show and uh, commented that, uh, you know, he's always amazed at, uh, you know, things that we talk about that maybe he didn't necessarily notice in the game. And and I'll tell you, Tommy and I talked about that uh, before the show. We take that as high praise, and so we certainly uh, appreciate your comment and appreciate the dialogue with you 
that we often have through uh, Facebook. We do appreciate that. We got another uh, comment through, uh, Tommy, you'll get a kick out of this one. Uh, another comment through our uh, email, uh, Andrew uh, Doherty, and he commented that he and his dad uh, always grab a beer and sit back and listen to the podcast. And so, Tommy, I don't know about you, but uh, I think we need to get together with them and just, you know, we'll just all sit around and talk about football and uh, and have a beer. That sounds good, huh? Absolutely, man. Y'all just uh, send us an invite and we will get that scheduled. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, we appreciate uh, the fans out there. We we absolutely love uh, interacting with you guys. Um, so don't hesitate to drop us an email. Hit us up on Facebook. Talk to us through the Bama Hammer site uh, or leave us comments on iTunes. Uh, any sort of contact that, uh, the, that uh, you guys can give us, we certainly appreciate it. And uh, we enjoy interacting with you guys because, hey, Tom and Dave, you know, at the end of the day, we're just two guys that enjoy talking football. And so we just decided to do it in front of a mic. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the net of it. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hit some of you guys up and, and have an opportunity to talk football just at any time because that's, that's what we do. That is what we enjoy. Hey, here's to it. It's Auburn Hate Week. Uh, I think we're going to go take care of these Tigers and then on to bigger and better things. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Thanks for listening and roll tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, coach? Of course. Roll Tide.